Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever the Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. The show goes on. The official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel. Covering your Miami Marlins all the time in our own way here on Fish Stripes. I'm Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes. We'll be dropping this one on a Tuesday morning for you, a little bit earlier than the normal routine. And you guys can understand why, because there's a whole lot of stuff that we got to get through. Just breaking in uh, the last few days on the Marlins front as we enter, uh, would be the first to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Hope everybody's enjoying time with their families. Coming up on this episode, Marlins starting pitcher. He's here to stay. Another one to consider trading away. We got a prospect that has made us fall back in love and another one that was egregiously snubbed. And we're going to finish up with a fun quiz at the end of the show after that. It's not just me joining me. Special guest. We have Arm Layden, co-founder of Just Baseball, the host of Outside the Box with Jeff Conine, and of course, a Fist Stripes alum. Hey, Arm, how you doing? Good, man. I, I'm glad that we could uh, do this episode after some good news. So I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to talk some Marlins baseball. Breaking news out Monday morning, Sandy Alcantara, five-year extension as first reported by Craig Mish. We got confirmation from John Heyman. Five years north of $55 million guaranteed. The news breaking at 10 a.m. I put an article up at 9.30 a.m. So we got like 30 <laughs> minutes of people actually caring about what I had to think about the situation before actually getting the, the real numbers out there on Sandy. It's it's unusual 
right? When you have a move of this magnitude of this much of a commitment that seems to be pretty much universally praised and uh, like celebrated um, among fans, among everybody, uh, among the industry. And this one seems to check that box, right? Yeah. I mean, there's no way around, uh, I guess there's no negative way to spin a small market team locking up, you know, one of the most exciting and talented young pitchers in baseball and Sandy Alcantara. Like, I think we forget that he's only 26 years old and just seems to get better and better every time we see him. This is great for baseball, I think, because enough of young players or small market teams just handing off their guys. And I think it's good that Sandy gets some guaranteed money and the Marlins get a little bit more control on the back end. It's, it's a win-win for everybody. And it's a good starting point for sure. And, and it, finally a good gesture, I think, from this ownership group that had been a while since uh, the fans got that. And I think they were definitely clamoring for it a little bit. Yeah. To get everybody on the same page, three years of club control he already had left. He was just entering his arb years. So it gets them two extra years of control. And we're still waiting you know, for the full details on this one. Uh, on, the, on the surface, so on my own calculations for anybody that cares, the, the solution that I was coming to was a six-year deal that would have been $75 million total. And if you trim it back for the first five years, I had it at like $58 million as the right number to land on. Um, you know, I looked at the Aaron Nola extension from a few years ago. I looked mm-hmm. at Senzatella from earlier this offseason. I looked at the Barrios one. Uh, that was just from a few weeks ago. And you kind of like mesh that all together. And uh, that's what I came up with. It would have been 558 for the next five years. And so at least they got kind of close to that. And I mean, one of the funny parts about this is that even though this only takes him through his early 30s, you know, if he plays out this whole extension with the Marlins, he's going to be their longest tenured pitcher ever, right? It's going to be nine major league seasons or parts of nine. And nobody's ever done that as a pitcher before with this organization. The only reason why I was a little bit skeptical about whether they would do this is that we know from following like this organization, how much they are churning out decent starter after decent starter after decent starter. So I guess that's ultimately what, what I'm caught on here and what I'm surprised pleasantly surprised by is that they were willing to you know kind of just give this guy give this guy his due and recognize that he is exceptional recognize that he is really difficult for any organization to replace that his skills are just like a a notch above what you can like create internally no matter how confident you are in your best practices and all that stuff a hundred percent. I think that's the biggest key there is I think this organization has a ton of confidence in their ability to develop pitching. If there's one strength that they have above all, it's that. Uh, but when you have somebody like Sandy Alcantara, he has things you, you can't teach. And he's on the brink, I think, of really, really putting it together. He's already put it together. But when I say that, I mean like Cy Young potential put it together. His last month of the season, I mean – in 40 and a third's innings, punched out 43, walked three. So now we're seeing a guy that used to have fringy command now have, you know, elite command with ridiculous stuff. And look, I'm not comparing him yet to Jacob deGrom, but it is worth noting that he's right there in terms of pitch velo. Nobody else is at that mark. And now the command's coming together. And when did Jacob deGrom start pitching? 26 years old. Sandy's already just turning 26 and has several years under his belt already. So 
you know, there's pretty much endless upside here. Again, I'm not saying he's going to be Jacob deGrom, but he could be one of the best pitchers in baseball, and I think that's a pretty fair assumption within the five years of this contract. And I think the way the Marlins are looking at it, their window is maybe not next year, but the hope is that within the next five years, they're playing competitive baseball. If they're not, then everything would have gone wrong. And Sandy would be, you know, the focal point of that from the pitching perspective. One ball, two strikes. He struck him out. 14 strikeouts for Sandy Alcantara, adding to a career high, a career night for Sandy. And I think also some of the, the injury concern, uh, when you look at Pablo, when you look at Sixto, when you look at Eliezer, uh, a lot of these other guys have dealt with some injury history. Sandy is knock on wood been Mr. Durable, and, and you can't really put a price tag on that either. It's just it, it's just so important to have somebody that you can rely on and not have to worry as much about the injuries. Sandy brings so much to the table and just gives them such a strong foundation that uh, I think this team is in a really good spot, and they still have a relative financial flexibility given that, you know, this isn't going to handcuff them, even of the smallest market of teams, 11 million annually, you know, average annual value on top of incentives, even if it goes up to 15, that's something they can afford. This was a team that was paying Wei Yin Chen 20 on a higher overall payroll. Like yeah. they can handle this and still do some more stuff. And, and that's the best part of it all. I'm glad you brought up the injury history. I did look back at that. And I mean, from what I've seen, he didn't have any IL stints during his entire minor league career. And so he's had two in the majors. He had one last year in 2020 that was obviously COVID. He tested positive and yeah. he had to sit out a few weeks. And then he had one in 2018, which as best as I can remember, he developed an infection in his armpit because he was like shaving his armpit. He was doing some <laughs> manscaping there and something went wrong and he cut himself. Yeah. And so it wasn't, neither of those would are what you would call like structural issues. Neither of those no. are injuries that would um, cause any concern for you moving forward about his durability. None of those actually like fall into the, the cup of durability. It's all like completely separate from that. One of the biggest indicators of future injury is past injury. And the fact that he is now eight plus years into his pro career, four plus years into his major league career without any, real injuries um that makes you pretty confident even uh he's not going to keep that streak intact forever but he is a pretty as safe a bed as you can have to actually stay healthy and yeah you mentioned still having the flexibility to add pieces if this contract is structured the way we think it is because he was just starting his rb years that it will be pretty backloaded like the yep. next year will be uh just a couple million and then a couple million up from there and a couple million up from there and then it's year four and five where you're actually buying out his free agent year. So those are the years in 2025 and 2026 when he makes, you know, real money. And until then you have this like nice window that, you know, the money that they are they're, relative to his market value, he's going to be a huge bargain these next three years. Yeah. And during those years, that, that's resources that you can allocate to actually the, the offense, offense to actually like I mean, give him, yeah, to like, create this well-rounded roster that's actually competitive to address the one need that you do have, which is scoring runs. Yeah. And we know that's the big need. And I think the biggest thing is, is the value that you're getting here, right? Like you're getting uh, potentially a, a top 15 pitcher in baseball below market value over the next few years. You know, how are you going to utilize that advantage? And uh, that's something that I'm really interested to see. I, I think that this off season was already huge. 
They did the first thing that they needed to do, but also at the same time, let's be real, they didn't get better by extending Sandy Alcantara. It was the right move and it was good, but now how do you get better with that now set in stone? Uh, and that's going to be the, the thing to figure out is, is how do they get better? There's plenty of options, I think, in the trade market, on the free agent market, and they're going to be busy. I just don't know how specifically they're going to be busy. I, I think Craig Mish has said that Buxton seems like the most possible scenario. Uh, but we, we know this team has kind of gone out of left field sometimes and, and made some moves we didn't expect. And uh, I'm kind of expecting that to happen again. I also wouldn't be shocked now that they got this settled in and maybe they go and do make one free agent splash. That's kind of, I'm either expecting two, you know, middle signings or one surprise from us. Obviously the, the middle signings being probably the more likely of the two, but you never know. They might be feeling themselves after the Sandy extension. I imagine that stuff is going to wait until post lockout stuff. Mm -hmm. um, from what we've seen, there've been some actually, as we're recording this, there've been some medium sized signings uh, today uh, from other organizations on Monday. Uh, but in terms of like, like the real top shelf guys, I imagine most of those, if not all of them are going to wait until uh, later in the off season. But I did want to bring up this article that you had like, less than two weeks ago on five MLB blockbuster trades to spark the hot stove up on yeah. just baseball, of course. And one of them featuring the Marlins that kind of ties in to this. You did mention how basically everybody except for Sandy in this like projected rotation, they have some durability concerns and Pablo Lopez is one of them. Um, I've always been one that gets very defensive when people talk about trading Pablo and um I, at the same time, if they do trade him, it has to be like a very particular set of circumstances to make me comfortable, like with realizing that it actually accomplishes something that gets me either closer to being a more complete team now or in the future. And so the one you, you came up with is with the Blue Jays. And this has been a connection. I think John Morosi has reported on this and maybe Mish has as well. John Hayman, like there does seem to be real smoke here that mm -hmm. the Blue Jays and the Marlins are trade fits because the Blue Jays have almost a surplus of offensive talent and especially a catcher. And we know what the Marlins have with their pitching depth. So what he came up with is Pablo Lopez going to the Jays for superstar catching prospects, Gabriel Moreno and Kevin Smith. So try to sell me on that. Yeah. So I'll start with this. I don't love the idea of trading Pablo either. Uh, but I figured, you know, for the sake of of the article, you know, you got to give to get. And I, I thought it would it would make the most sense if the Marlins wanted to make a major, major splash at catcher with control still, uh, because this would allow them to still be able to spend more money. Right. So now you have your ace taken care of. Uh, obviously, I didn't know that with the article going out, but even more so, like doubling down on that now, knowing what we know, you have your ace taken care of. You have the catching position taken care of affordably for the next X amount of years. And then we know if there's one thing that the Marlins have done, you know, not a great job of it's developing hitting prospects. Right. And also they have so many volatile hitting prospects. Catching is the most volatile offensive position. There is obviously because hitting kind of comes second. Gabriel Moreno might be the best all around hitting catching prospect in, in the minor leagues. He's also one of the best, just pure hitters in the minor leagues, catcher or not you know, plus hit tool, I would say his floor is as high as can be. I mean, you look at his numbers in double A. I know he got hurt after 32 games, but I picked him ahead of this year to be a breakout candidate. And in double A, and mind you, he had only played in low A at this point uh, going into the year. 32 games, he hit 373, Eli, 441 on base percentage, 
eight homers. And the big question was how much power is he going to hit for? Well, he hit eight homers in 32 games. Like this is a guy that could hit two for you and, and be one of your best hitters uh, in the next couple of years. And I think would be big league ready right away. Gabriel Moreno reaches for one and Stott is a little late on the throw. Kevin Smith is a little throw in with some upside. He's more of that swing and miss volatile bat, but you know, is able to play all over the infield can kind of be the John birdie type, uh, but with more power and more of an impact and could play the outfield in a pinch. I thought that was a decent throw in given that the Jays don't really need him uh, that much. And the Marlins could use the offense. I don't love trading Pablo, but I think when you think about, you know, Pablo's health concerns, shoulders really scare me. And it's yeah. been recurrent shoulder issues. Uh, I think that, you know, if, if the shoulder issues continue to get worse, you're, you're going to be kicking yourself that you didn't trade them and, and you're going to end up losing a lot of value, which the Marlins have already kind of seen happen with Eliezer Hernandez, who was never nearly as valuable, but also Sixto Sanchez now, too. They can't do anything with them, even if they wanted to. I think this is an opportunity to cash in. Your rotation will still be fantastic. And it might sound a little nitpicky, but Pablo struggles against the Braves. I mean, he's going to make a lot of starts against the Braves. If there's one pitcher that really struggles against one of your main division opponents, it, it makes it a little bit more justifiable too. But mostly it's just because Moreno is a top 10 prospect in baseball to me. You're right. That last point was extremely nitpicky. So I'm not going to give you any credit for that. But the, the other stuff was very valid. And I didn't pay much attention to Moreno at all during the regular season. I did recently because he's on the same fall league team as all the Marlins prospects. Uh, I mean, for a while there, he was like the best player in the league. He slowed down a little bit at the end, but he still finished. What was it? Hit, slashing 329, 410, 494 with as many walks as strikeouts. And I mean, we'll have more on the fall league um, in just a few minutes about like putting into context because it wasn't really hitter friendly league. Uh, but still, I mean, for a guy that is 21 years old, turning 22 uh, next year, it's um, I also saw that. Uh, in the fall league, you played a couple games at, at third base. Do, do, is he somebody that you think is like athletic enough to at least fake it at, at like a corner infield position when he's not catching? Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that. Like, I, I think his defense behind the dish has gotten so much better. But I know that the Blue Jays are kind of like – it's an open competition at third base. They've got Santiago Espin Espinal. They've got Kevin Biggio. But Moreno's the, the premium bat. I, I do think he's athletic enough to fake it. I don't know how good his actions are going to be out there, but in terms of his ability to move, uh, I, I think he's athletic enough to fake it. Uh, we'll just have to see. I mean, we know he has the arm. I don't know how the actions are going to be, but I did think that that was kind of telling that, you know, maybe the Blue Jays might not want to part with him and, and maybe they're willing to experiment with him at third a little bit and have a little bit of a DH third base catcher rotation going on here where they're just trying to keep all these guys in the lineup. It's going to be interesting, but I think it, you know if the Marlins can dangle an impact arm, uh, that really would move the needle for them. I mean, that makes the rotation fantastic. Uh, it went from a huge weakness to a really solid rotation, depending on what they do with Robbie Ray. And that's the thing, too. If they lose Robbie Ray, even more of a need to go get another pretty established arm that you know can slot in, uh, especially if you're not trying to spend $100 million on a pitcher. And we see how expensive pitching is uh, price-wise. Pablo comes with control. And this is a Blue Jays team that's going to need to pay a lot of guys pretty soon. Uh, so I think that considered getting a controllable young pitcher after they just paid Barrios, it makes sense. And, and I think it would make sense for both sides here. Uh, and and I, I just think Moreno changes everything for the Marlins behind the dish. And I think that would be too tantalizing. I honestly think the Blue Jays would say no, uh, to, to be honest. I think they're that high on Moreno. 
there's there's a whole lot of other catchers potentially available via trade, and probably most of them that actually would not only let you hold on to Pablo, but like overall, like send less value to either rent Wilson Contreras or to mm -hmm. get Jacob Stallings from the Pirates mm -hmm. or Carson Kelly from the D backs, all these guys that have actually been pretty productive in the major leagues, you know, on, on yep. various levels. Um, they, they, they've been there and done it before in the major leagues that if it's like Stallings or Kelly or Sean Murphy, the A's guys that have several years of control remaining, you know, um, not as many as Moreno does, but it's that trade-off where you've actually seen them do it in the big leagues before. So, I mean, for me, it's, it's just kind of being scarred a little bit by a lot of the debuts that we saw this year. The fact that it just seems that that transition from AAA to the majors is more unpredictable than it's it's been in recent years. I think that's totally a fair concern. And frankly, you know, if if there was something else on the table where I can go get a Jacob Stallings uh, for for significantly less, I, I would definitely want to do that. Uh, you know, this was one of those where I'm looking at you know this could be a franchise altering deal. Uh, for the positive and and for the negative, obviously. But and Moreno has the potential to be one of the best catchers in baseball. And, you know, how many opportunities do you get to acquire one of the best catchers in baseball, potentially? Uh, probably almost never. And, and that's where, you know, is the it, it's almost like a double-edged sword. Do you roll the dice as much as you can with where the Marlins are at here? Or do you try and play it safe and build cautiously on the offensive side? I think you can justify both routes. This would be rolling the dice. But this could totally change things for the Marlins if Moreno is the guy that I think he can be. And, you know, he's one of the most polished hitters, like I said, in the minors. So it hedges it a little bit, but you bring up a good point. So was Jared Kelnick. And, and look what happened. He finished strong at the end of the year. Uh, but, you know, that obviously wasn't what they expected. So there's a lot of things that go in there. But I, I would I would definitely be exploring the whole market. If you can have Jacob Stallings for you know a few mid top 30 prospects or whatever, it would cost maybe a little bit more than that. Obviously, that's the move. But, uh, you know, if, if the market dries out a little bit, I would be willing to do this, uh, as crazy as it may sound. Uh, I think you just got to shed a little bit of the injury risk because it just seems like there's there's a lot of it uh, in this Marlins rotation right now. Yeah, it's a fair point. Like, I'm not totally against the idea of, of dealing in, but it has to be very particular circumstances. So I, I would say that you – um. You're mostly successful in making me consider this. I wouldn't say that you sold me on it completely, but I'll, I'll link it for uh, for people to read when we put up the pod so that people can get the full rationale behind it there. And uh, I'll let them kind of stew on this as well to, to see what they think about it. We know that the team has to do something at catcher or maybe multiple somethings at catcher. So it's, yeah, I no doubt it's exciting. It is. It does definitely check the box of a blockbuster for sure that – would at least be uh, create a lot of fun discourse if something like that went through. And we are with our buddy Arm Laden of Just Baseball here on the official show. We want to pivot to Moreno's AFL teammate, JJ Bleday, who um, we've spent a lot of time at Fish Stripes, like micro analyzing his uh, fall league performance because from start to finish, and especially as like the second half of the fall league season got going, like he just. It was amazing. It was any way you slice it. Um, and even when you adjust for the conditions in the AFL and, and everything, you want to put like any um, caveat you want on it, that he was one of the best players out there yep. um, in a league that historically has um, amazing, amazing players that turn out to be amazing major leaguers. Uh, and he 
at, at, he got even some hardware at the end as the co-hitter of the year in the league. He um, he especially showed out in the Fall Stars game and in the championship game. And it, so if you really want to go into that, you know, those were the games where he actually did face like the hand-picked better pitching prospects, you would say, than like during the regular season games. Um, guys that, for whatever it's worth, you know, he was even better in those particular settings against higher higher ranked pitching prospects than he was during the course of, the, of their season. Like it was just awesome, awesome production for a guy that for most of the double A season, we had, we were just scratching our heads about, you know, what happened to him. And so we were talking about this, you know, before the show, just to clarify your stance that you, that you do seem like pretty intrigued by like what he did, even if it's a small sample, all the caveats that apply that, this maybe meant a little something in terms of him being the guy that we thought he was. Uh, it absolutely did to me because there's a few things I look for when I, when I see something like this, right. And, and number one is, is there a tangible adjustment? And, you know, baseball America, of course, went into a, a little bit of a conversation with him and a full breakdown on, on the adjustments that he made with his swing. Uh, but even before that article, like they, I think we all saw the adjustments that he made. They were, they were pretty tangible. And that's always a great key, right? Like, okay, he's hitting better now and he made a change. Maybe that change is working. Correlation isn't always causation, though. So you want to corroborate that with maybe some batted ball data. Well, first of all, the eye test. He was driving balls to dead center and, and the other way with authority that we hadn't really seen him do as much. Then you look at the batted ball data. Four of the five hardest hit balls of the entire calendar year for J.J. Boudet came in the Arizona Fall League. To me, yes, maybe the pitching's not quite as good as he was seeing day in and day out. He still saw several very good pitchers, as you mentioned, and performed against those guys. But it doesn't matter who you're facing. When you're impacting the ball with more authority, that's a you thing. You know, he's competing against himself at that point. And I think we saw how those swing changes really helped him hit the ball with more authority. He was staying in his backside a lot more. His lower half was more involved. He always had that unorthodox swing that I think we always questioned a little bit especially over at Vanderbilt, where all of that movement, it's a lot to time up. It's a lot to have your lower half and your torso timed up with all of that movement that he had. Notice that that's all gone now, and he's timing things up so much better. I don't think it's a coincidence that this is all happening. The batted ball data backs it up. I'm, you know, I think a lot has shifted for me. I wish he had found these changes a little bit earlier so we had a larger sample size, uh, but you know, if he comes out next year and really struggles, then then we'll kind of shift our, our perspective here. But I'm expecting him to come out and continue to do what he was doing uh, because I watched at-bats against specific pitching prospects that with the kind of stuff that he struggled against during the year, and, and he hit those guys. And, you know, I, I really do think this is for real. And, and this is a, a huge, huge development for the Marlins. I mean, I don't think we can emphasize enough how important it would be for J.J. Boudet to actually be looking more like the J.J. Boudet that we thought he could be. The question was never the bat-to-ball skills. It was how how he was impacting the baseball and, and how he was picking up breaking balls and, and controlling his body, and he's finally doing all of that. So I, I am definitely encouraged. The highest exit velo number that I saw from him was like 111. Did, did, you, did you actually get a number that was even higher than that when he was out in the fall league? Yeah, so he, he hit over 110 on multiple occasions, which he, yeah. he never did other than balls that went straight into the ground um, during during the uh, AA season. So I think 111, there might have been a 112 in there, if I'm not mistaken, but he was never even really consistently doing that. So so to have those kind of exit velos coming out, I mean, that, that's got to be something that has the Marlins really excited. They cited batted ball data as somewhat something that had them more encouraged still with him 
And, you know, I think we kind of saw why, why they felt that way. I mean, he hit 111, I think, three different times, which he, he almost never did. Maybe only did once uh, during the duration of, of the double-A season. So, I mean, when you see stuff like that, I, th- there's a lot to uh, be buying there uh, from, from what he's kind of tried to sell us. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, for people that aren't familiar, uh, that's pretty above average by major league standards. There are a lot of good major league hitters that never hit. I think Brian Anderson is a guy that like maxes out right around 111. And like he's, he's somebody that we were entering this year when he was a healthy guy. We were saying he has the ability to hit 25 or 30 if he really reaches the ceiling. And, and like all of a sudden, that we feel like that's back on the table with Blade if he's able to like sustain these gains. Uh, expectation is probably that he starts next year in uh, in AAA. That the Marlins go about you know their offseason shopping, planning to have somebody in front of him uh, on the depth chart, somebody that's like been there and done that before. But yeah, I mean, all of a sudden there's once again you're kind of feeling it's just feeling like the way that we were at this time a year ago. You know, because coming out of spring training, it was yeah. seemed like a foregone conclusion that he would be in the majors in 2021. And the fact that that didn't happen uh, shows you that a lot had to go wrong. But for him to at least, you know, be the guy that, yeah, we thought he was not that long ago, that's, yeah, that's that's encouraging. Um, you had him uh, when you and Ethan put out uh, your Marlins top 10. I think you had him the number seven prospect in the system. And that's kind of where I had him too, you know, where I think there are some guys here that we're still more excited about on the pitching side. And then uh, we go on the really young side with like Khalil Watson and Jose Salas. But then today is kind of like is, is right there. He's still a guy. He's still a guy that that like matters. And um, I guess you, you hope that he, I wouldn't say you hope, but it'd be intriguing to see like exactly how much his stock changed this fall to the point where is he somebody that would be involved in actual a big trade if, if the Marlins do go after if they get the, their big bat that way, you know, if, if he turns out to be like a guy that could be the centerpiece of, of, of a huge deal. Um, yeah, but we'll, we'll see. I imagine they're not in any hurry to like get rid of him, that they want to give him a chance to, to be the guy that they drafted at the top of the draft just a couple of years ago. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we talk about the struggles and everything. He's still one of the few guys that has the above average hit tool. And you got to hold on to those guys in an organization that is very scarce in that regard with those types of prospects. Yeah. You know, I I struggle of like if it's Bleday or Burdick at that point, you know, you've got a difficult decision to make because I think Burdick has, you know, the better year last year, obviously has a lot of great tools, potential to play center, and it'd be a difficult decision. I think it would really be in the eyes of the beholder. If there's a team that really values Bleday as a top 100 guy, 
then, you know, maybe you have to part with him. But if there's a team that really prioritizes a verdict, then then you got to do it that way, too. I, I'm of the belief I don't want to trade any of those guys. I don't want to trade Pablo. I don't really want to trade anybody. But unfortunately, you got to give to get. And this team needs to to get. <laughs> they need to make some changes. And, uh, yeah, I think everything's got to be on the table, except for our, our young, tall king, Yuri Perez. He's untouchable, and that's it. We love Yuri so much. Ridiculous year that he's coming off of as well. <laughs> when um, I saw him in Jupiter, man, he looked like he was on stilts. Like, I, I, he wasn't even pitching that day. I just watched him bring out some balls to the umpire, and I was just like, oh, my goodness. That guy looks like he's on stilts. Uh, just, Just incredible. He, maybe he's still growing, man. I mean, he's still only 18. <laughs> it's still biologically possible because when they, when they signed him, I think they listed him at at six five, and then entering this year, he was like six eight. But I think most people that that saw him this year would just swear that he's even taller than six eight now. So I, I wouldn't think he have, is. Yeah, ridiculous, and uh, can't wait to. Uh, it's he's still 18 years old. 18 years old, <laughs> and and pitched well in high A, and yeah. has command. For mm-hmm. such a tall dude, you think he'd be all awkward. It's it's incredible. I, he's he's going to be one of those guys that I think quickly – he already is, but like quickly ascends to the top of like the top prospect list, top 30 by the middle of next year. I really think so. Yep, absolutely. I'm with you on that. Um, one other subject we wanted to touch on on this pod is news from last Friday when I, I, I dug through the history on this um, through the Marlins – through what I was able to see publicly at least that – Every year on this deadline to promote guys, to select contracts of guys, to protect them from the Rule 5 draft, uh, every single year, dating back at least 12 years, the Marlins have added somebody. They've had somebody in their farm system that they felt is is worth rewarding and worth protecting from the Rule 5. That deadline just passed this Friday, and um, there was really only one guy that people thought were pretty likely to be protected. And that was your guy, Griffin Conine, who for most of last year, leading the minor leagues in home runs, his first full year in the Marlins organization, um, consensus top 30 prospect in the Marlins organization with, as we've, we've talked about, like across fifth stripes platforms, just the extremely rare power that he has to all fields and the good discipline that he has, you know, with those traits alone, um, forget, you know, any biases towards his, his pedigree and being a conine that he was, he was somebody that was worth a 40 man spot over some of the guys, some of the suspects that currently have 40 man spots in the organization. I wanted to just give you the floor to just, uh, vent a little bit about the decision to, leave him off the 40 minutes, leave him unprotected for the rule five. Um, because it seemed to catch you by a surprise and to annoy you a little bit. And you're not the only one. A lot of other people uh, had the exact same reaction to you. You know, it's funny. Cause it, it caught it, it. Like it did catch me by surprise, I guess by my reaction, but I was also fully expecting it. It was just also, once I saw it happen, it was just like, wow, they really did that. You know, they really, didn't protect him there. If they had one of the roster crunches that like the Rays had or some of these other teams that are loaded with talent on their 40 man, I'd understand it, right? Like Griffin could not have finished worse in double A. I, I mean, he he really just hit a wall. And I, I see people talking like about the 47% K rate in double A. Why would anybody take a chance on him? He struck out 22 times in his final 33 at bats. Like he fully just, just was, was lost down the stretch. And he told me, he's just like, at that point, it was just, 
mental. I just wanted the season to end. And then the season got cut short anyways, and it was like a blessing. But up until that point, the K rate was more in the in the mid to high 30s range, which we know, like, if you can get that a bit lower into the mid 30s, you can sustain big league success if you have prolific power, i.e. Joey Gallo and, and some other players that are able to do it because they hit home runs so frequently. There's no player in the minor leagues that had a higher home run to fly ball rate, meaning the percentage of balls you hit in the air, leaving the yard. And that's the stuff you can't teach. We talk about exit velos. Griffin put up over a 116 exit velo. That was Fernando Tatis's top exit velo last year with the major league baseballs, right? In double A, they're using minor league balls. Don't come off as hard. So I look at it like this, and I'm saying most likely a team's not going to take Griffin in the Rule 5 draft. I, I think it's more likely that it doesn't happen than it does happen because of his you know, bad finish to the year. But he also has prolific power to all fields, like you said, that you can't teach. He actually, you know, made some great improvements defensively, you know, isn't limited to DH or anything like that, can play left or right. And he has discipline, like you said, and a lot of the intangibles that you look for and, and you know, the big league pedigree of his father. I wouldn't be shocked if a team took a shot, right? Like there's a non-zero chance that a team takes a shot. And that's enough for me to protect him if I'm the Marlins, because the Marlins had more than an, enough ways to clear that roster spot. They could have, you know, Finally, DFA'd Isan Diaz. They didn't do it. They could have finally DFA'd uh, Alfaro, Brinson, any of the four catchers that they have. Gerard Encarnacion's on the 40-man. And, you know, if we're talking, if we're comparing prospects here, Gerard is a DH only at this point, maybe first base. Didn't hit for nearly the amount of power that Griffin hit for. Had injury issues and swings and misses. And this is not to tear down Gerard. You know, I'm hoping it works out for him. But when I look at it from that component, I'm like, you're using the 40-man spot for Gerard but not Griffin. They're similar profiles and more production yeah. there. Yeah, let me jump in it's just because, just very because I'm glad you brought him up because Gerard was placed on the 40-man at this exact time last year, and the similarities are pretty interesting because he had he didn't have any experience above high A at that time, and you knew that he was a guy yep. that he, he was not going to be selected the same way because even though he did have the same standout skills, that he wasn't ready and that he wasn't easy to, like, maneuver onto an active roster the, the entire year and yet they yeah they protected him so it did seem like inconsistent that they made the same move with Gerard and Carnacion last year and then um left Conine off even though Conine arguably arguably had the better year and is arguably has more potential to be like if he hits his ceiling to that the ceiling could be even higher than Encarnacion. Yeah, and I think that's that's the craziest part, right? You have a left-handed hitting outfielder, you know, who could play either corner versus, you know, a guy that's probably going to get relegated to DH and was injured and didn't nearly put up the numbers. So I thought that was a really interesting point too. But I think the the most upsetting part to me was like you have a, a non-zero chance of losing a, you know, your most powerful prospect, you know, in terms of just power potential. You know, this guy has 40 home run power potential. You know, if he doesn't tail off at the end, he hits 40 in the minors. I just don't know how you can justify holding on to Isan Diaz still. Uh, like, given how long we've been talking about this, like, I, I just can't believe we're still talking about it. And I just can't believe that Isan Diaz and Lewis Brinson and those guys still holding on to the roster spots is still an issue that's affecting the team, even when games aren't going on. Like, that, that's where it's almost just getting bizarre to me, you know, just to be fully transparent at that point. And again, nothing against those guys. It's just they need a change of scenery. I think it's clear that they're, they're, they're not going to succeed in Miami. And it's not clear for sure that some of these other guys that they didn't protect aren't going to succeed. What about Bryson Brigman too? I mean, that's yeah. another guy that I would mm -hmm. rather see him have that roster spot than 
than some of the guys that currently have it. Uh, it just doesn't quite make sense to me. You almost wonder like what they have against Bryson Brigman. I, yeah. I feel bad for the guy. I'm, 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 I hope he gets picked up and I hope he gets a great opportunity elsewhere. It'll be upsetting, but you know, for, for his sake, I mean, what else does that guy have to do besides improve on his defense? I've reached a point where I'm kind of just resigned to the idea that for whatever reason, they do have something against him yeah. and, uh, that I, I just, I never felt like there was any hope of him being protected, even though when you, when you think about it, he probably should have been when considering the other infield depth that you have on the 40 men right now is, is not any good. And um, it's not even on the position player side as well. I mean, there are a couple of relief only pitchers on the 40 men as well. Like, Sean Gunther, who put up a nine ERA when he got called up to the majors. And he's a guy that would probably clear waivers and stay in the organization. And Paul Campbell as as well. You know, he just he didn't show a whole lot and uh he wasn't he didn't even pitch much this year. And um they had options. They had a lot of options, even though you know it was technically full. I don't it was full um with a handful of, of guys that didn't don't really need to be there right now guys exactly. you're probably gonna get rid of anyway if you make any sort of real upgrades to the roster this offseason uh which you expect to make you know they keep saying they're they're gonna make a handful of real additions to the pen and to the offense like, like eventually those, those guys are gonna be squeezed off anyway so it's it's a little perplexing for sure yeah, you know, and I think it says it says a little bit, you know, because we, we were it was pretty clear where they were at with Brigman by not calling him up for the duration of the year. And then, you know, not protecting him, I think, kind of just shows you where the team values a player. I mean, the Rule 5 draft is an opportunity to see where the team values a player. Um, and I think it's clear with this organization that they've always valued their guys you know, more. Uh, and I think that's evident again, you know, here with the Rule 5 is that they're going to value their guys more. And that's what happened here. I mean, their guys still have the 40-man roster spot. And, uh, you know, that's something that I think we've become uh, pretty pretty used to and numb to at this point. I had a feeling that this segment was going to turn pretty negative, which is why I had this final segment plan. It was the opposite <laughs> of it. A, a little bit fun to, to end this. We led this off talking about the Sandy extension. And one of the, the themes of him – Last year is that he had the best year of his career, and yet you know they lost most of his games. Just a a really ridiculous lack of run support um, around him. That he you would think that he would uh, inspire his his teammates to maybe elevate their game a little bit when he's on the mound. And for some reason, it kind of went the opposite, and things did not go well. What what I did is I looked at a lot of his uh, best outings from this past year, and I'm going to show you so we get on. The same page with this i looked at i sorted them by game score and i just looked at a lot of his best outings from last year right here um and i wanted you to guess based on his performances we're gonna go one at a time here whether he got the win whether he got the loss or whether he got a no decision um all, all these games game score goes basically zero to a hundred for the most part average is right around 50. All these games are at least a 70. Like all these are great games, pitching deep into the game, not allowing any runs kind of dominating in like all these games. Um, and I've eight of them I picked out eight of them here and we're going to go one at a time. I wanted to start with that one at the bottom. So it's May 25th against the Phillies. He goes eight innings. He loves only two hits and in eight innings. It's a couple runs and it's super efficient too. 93 pitches in eight innings uh, against the Phillies. 
He's a really awesome game. Um, from looking at these dates and in, in lines, you may remember, you know, some of them. I don't know. Do you remember this particular game? Does this one stick out to you? I remember one in Philly more so. I don't know if I remember. Right. This. So this one, yeah, this one was definitely in Miami. Most of these yeah. were, were home games, but this one in Miami. So do you want to take your guess as to eight innings, two hits, two runs, one walk, four strikeouts, two runs, the Phillies, two in- runs. That's that's got to be an out. Two runs has to be an out. And perfect. So you are one and zero so far <laughs> against the Phillies. That game they lost two to nothing, shut out against the Phillies, despite his awesome performance. Uh, one and zero so far. As we go, we're gonna go straight up one at a time, skipping to uh, August twenty second. This is a road game against the Reds. Seven innings, eleven strikeouts. Yeah, wow. Four four, four hits, two runs, two walks. Uh, 111 pitches in this one to get through seven against Cincinnati pretty late in the season. Uh, another game that, because I guess it was later in the year, there's a better chance you you may remember this one, but uh, take your guess. In Cincinnati, I, mean, I honestly, I'm trying to remember the outcome. I don't know if I remember the individual game, but two earned runs, I don't think the Marlins scored two. I, I'm going to go loss again. And even though Sandy is winless, you're undefeated 2-0. Correct, correct answer so far. Off to a good start. But those were the easy ones, right? Because those were the ones where he allowed multiple runs. All these other games, we're going to go do six more where he allowed one run or less. June 16th. This one's this one's a giveaway. So you're off to a strong start, and this one's kind of a giveaway. Legendary game on the road against the Cardinals. He, he pitches eight in the third innings. Allows zero earned runs, but one unearned run. Six hits, one walk, seven Ks. This is on June 16th. You probably remember this one. You get the loss, right? That, that's another one. A complete game loss where he yes. let zero earned runs. That should be that should be against the law. Like the, the Marlins should have had like the whole team, the offense should have just been in timeout for that one. Like, no earned runs, and you get the loss in a complete game effort. I I, that one I remember because I was that was to me like rock bottom. <laughs> I was, I, that one hurt. I hurt for Sandy on that one. Oh, and two on Molina. Sandy delivers and a ground ball past the dive of Marrero, and that is going to do it. Molina brings home Goldschmidt. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice. Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, man, it was... He was the first, if I remember this correctly, it was the first Marlin ever to like be in that situation to have a complete game and zero earned runs and somehow get the loss. Everything had to align for him perfectly. <laughs> so, so you're 3-0 so far. Uh, we're going to skip to the top and then go on down. So here, September 8th um, against the Mets. This one, he set a career high with 14 strikeouts, nine innings, one earned run on four hits, one walk, and 14 strikeouts against the Mets. There were there were several pitches at the end of this game where I think he hit 102 on the yeah. gun. Like it was the best velo that uh, 
that you've ever like that you ever see from a starting pitcher, uh, including the DeGroms of the world and the yep. peak Strasburg. This was pretty special. Uh, what about this one? Was that one a no decision? That was a no decision. Extra innings. Uh, the, they, they won. They won the game eventually. They, they pushed wow. across a, a second run against the Mets to, to take that one. And uh, for so for all his trouble, at least they won the game. But it was a legendary performance. You know, one of the better individual pitching performances in Marlins history. I don't think that's like hyperbole. No. That, that level of dominance. I don't think that's crazy at all. I don't think that's crazy at all. That's easily one of the most incredible performances in Marlins history. No decision. <laughs> yeah. So I made this one too easy because because you're getting all these right. Yeah, no, honestly, I, that, that was a little bit. That one was a little bit of a guess. I thought I remember that correctly. Yeah. Let's go to August first. This one also in Miami against the Yankees. So this is right after a trade deadline. Seven shutout innings. He loves two hits, one walk. 10 Ks, 99 pitches against the Yankees. That was a no decision. And I think they won that one, right? That was a no decision. They lost that game. They lost the game three to one. Uh, I I didn't even write this down, but I think I do remember pretty vividly that Zach pop was not so great in relief (laughs) in this game that for whatever, this was a game where I remember Mattingly just making some weird decisions about who he brought out of the pen, like in the eighth and ninth inning, instead of, Going to uh, his his usual suspects, so they ended up losing that game because they got swept in that whole series uh, against the Yankees uh, coming out of the deadline. You can't do much more than what he did that night: <laughs> three base runners in seven innings. He and, he seemed uh, to step up step up against the Yankees. He just seemed to really like pitching against the Yankees, whether it was in New York or at home. He looked great both times. Yeah, there was that game. Of course, last year when the clinching the playoff berth, that was against the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. He was fired up for that one. We got three more on here. Going to June 22nd against the Blue Jays in Miami. Eight innings, one run, five hits, one walk, only three Ks. So he yeah. relied a whole lot on his defense uh, with freakish efficiency. 86 pitches <laughs> in eight innings. That one was a loss, right? That one I finally got you on one. Oh. Because that one was a no decision. Oh. Give them a little bit more credit. They did lose the game. They lost the game two to one. And that so, but that gave just one run, and Marlon scored one run when he was on the mound. So they got him off the hook by giving him just enough when he was in the game to and I yeah, I think I remember in particular, you know, just the decision to take him out just because of how efficient he was yeah. with his yeah. pitches. I'll have to double check, but I'm pretty sure they had to pinch hit for him in the bottom yep. of the eighth inning of that one. And they ended up regretting it, losing right after that to the Blue Jays. So you're five and one on this okay. just a couple ago. That's that's a lot better than than I imagined. I'll take it. Uh, oh, but this is probably one of the easiest ones because this is April 1st against the Rays. This is opening day. And it, it was still when you're getting stretched out at the start of the year, they don't let you go as deep into the game as pitchers would ordinarily go. So they pulled about their six innings, 83 pitches, only no two hits, two walks, seven Ks. Yeah. And you just said it, no decision in, in that one. Should have looked more carefully. Cause that one's a giveaway. That was, uh, that, that was, was also a tone setter for the season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was, people may think that was the Anthony Bass first screw up. That was a Yimmy Garcia 
issue in that first game because it wasn't a safe situation. It was it was a tie yeah. game. It was him and Glass now like going zero to zero. So uh-huh. it was a tie, it was a non-safe situation, and they went to to Yimmy instead of to Bass, who was you know the closer, and it was oh, Yimmy that. Yeah, Glass that was crazy in that. I forgot about that. He he unveiled the the, the slider. Yeah. Oh yeah, that that was that was gross. And we have one final one on here from August 17th against the Braves. This one, another one in Miami, eight innings against the Braves. The the Braves are pretty hot at this time of year. You know, they hit on all their trade deadline acquisitions. Pretty sure he faced Duvall in that game and Solaire and probably Jock or whatever. Eight innings, one run, five hits, one walk, seven Ks, 105 pitches against the Braves. Do you remember what? His line, what what his decision was: a win, a loss, or a no decision. Was that the the no decision where they gave up a five run lead? That was a loss. Oh, they they go they lose two nothing. So he got only one run allowed in his time in the game, but that was too much. That was too much. I'll, I'll have to double check who the opposing pitcher was that combined. I think it was it was definitely a combined shutout by the Braves in that one. That was outstanding. I'll take that. Six and two out of those eight selections. (laughs) And as you noticed, I picked all games that he did not get the win in. All those games, um, allowing two runs or less, almost all those pitching seven, eight, nine innings. And I was able to find all those elite games where he did not get the win. That's something we're trying to leave in 2021, right? You just bring bring in a few new guys, trade in free agency, you get – Incremental gains from Jesus Sanchez, Brian De La Cruz, Lewis Brinson is finally going to break out. Of course, yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think it's coming. I still have the shirt, so it has to happen. And Jazz, I mean, Jazz, you know, faded a little bit too, and and being injured and all all of those things, missing the time he missed. I think Jazz can you know take it to another level as well. And and the catching position, I think people like don't realize. Even if they get an 85 WRC plus from their catching position, right? If they get an 85th per- percent or not 85th percentile, but like 80 cents on the dollar performance from their catcher, it'll still be exponentially better than what they were getting. So you know, if they get an above average offensive catcher, to me, that's like getting a superstar compared to what they were getting before. So that will move the needle a lot too. And I think also just having some more bench depth because I think we saw how big the drop off was. Uh, when when guys were were out, when Brian Anderson was out, when some of these other guys were out, you know, you were putting some lineups together that I think would have lost two out of three to the Durham Bulls. We mentioned this up top already, but this was for this kind of investment that they make. It's it's rare that you feel so comfortable about it. But Sandy yeah. is is that rare type of guy, rare type of pitcher, where there are so few that. You, you feel that this is money very well spent. And so a, a rare day to be just unequivocally pleased <laughs> by the way that the Marlins are operating. Refreshing would be the word I would use. I mean, it, it was really great to see, and, and I'm happy that they did this. And, you know, again, hopefully it's a sign of, of more things to come, uh, but definitely the right gesture. And, and I think fans are giving, getting a little bit of hope again because I think when, when if these talks fell through, <laughs> it would have been really hard to sell to sell fans on what's going on here. But I think, you know, they can start to say here, like, Hey, we, we, we've helped develop Sandy. Now we locked him up and, you know, we're just getting started. Remember that? So (laughs) we're we're a little bit further along here, but yeah, I mean, this this is definitely one of the uh, better feelings I've had 
uh, in a while for this team. So uh, they've got the main building block, and now let's see uh, what kind of complementary pieces they can get. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about it again soon, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, a long offseason ahead, uh, another week and a half until the presumed lockout comes. We're going to enjoy every second of it, and even when times are down, uh, you and I will be in touch for sure. Absolutely. I'll be as, as much as I can on the other side, on Just Baseball, supporting what yeah. you do over there. So as we're recording this, some new merch dropped today. I was going to yeah. get a new hoodie from you guys uh, as well um, with me and you under normal circumstances being up here in new york we need uh, we need to wrap up and and you guys are ready for it uh it's it's really awesome what you guys have, have built in a short time on on just baseball with, with the articles with the social with the podcasting uh, you guys are, are killing it and that includes marlins coverage but includes all 30 teams it includes outside of major league baseball as well arm laden he helped start it all and uh I'm really proud of what you're doing over there. Thank you, man. It means a lot, especially from you. And uh, learned a lot uh, from my time at Fish Stripes and, and writing under you uh, editorially and, and all of that good stuff. So uh, high praise from you and uh, really excited to keep the ball rolling and excited to have the home and home and have you back on on our end uh, to talk a little bit about the Marlins when they go get uh, hopefully a couple impact bats and, and get your thoughts on that. People listening to this, we appreciate the support. Hope you subscribe to Fish Traps wherever you get your pods. And wherever you get this pod, you should be able to get Outside the Box with Jeff Conine. You guys are still going to do some pods over the offseason with Jeff? What's the schedule? Yeah, we, like? we have Jason Stark coming on next week, uh, which I'm really excited for. Uh, that Jeff and Stark go back to their Baltimore days uh, where Stark was covering baseball out there. Um, obviously, Jeff playing out there too. Uh, so I'm really excited to just have those two and, and talk a little bit of uh, – Labor dispute. Uh, I think both of them have a little bit of experience in that too from 94 and it should be a lot of fun. So a lot more guests coming up too uh, in the future. Uh, I know we're working on on Book Shambi as well because Jeff stayed at his apartment uh, in New York when uh, when he was traded to the Mets. Uh, of course, Boog goes back to calling games for the Marlins radio way back uh, before ESPN snatched him away. Uh, and I remember my dad always telling me that we had the best broadcaster and ESPN stole him away. Uh, but looking forward to those two start coming up first. So uh, yeah, very excited to talk to, to talk to Jason Stark. Awesome. With arm laden, Eli Sussman here on the pod. We'll be back to you uh, every week, presumably through throughout this offseason. Still got, we're going to keep it going here on Fish Traps. We're going to get creative as well with uh, the rest of the staff and with more special guests like arm as well. So we appreciate the support as always. Go fish. Go fish.